I'm Dan Rundy. This is another episode of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. I'm here with my friend C.D. Glenn, who's the president of the U.S. Africa Development Foundation. C.D. is a longtime friend and colleague. It's great to have you here. Thanks for coming. Great to be here, Dan. Thanks for the opportunity. So, C.D., I want to talk about a number of things with you. I want to talk about the U.S. relationship with Africa. I want to talk about the future of Africa. But first, tell us a little bit about who is C.D. Glenn. Where did you grow up? Well, I'm proud son of a career military man. My dad was in the Air Force. I grew up on military bases in England, Italy, and Portugal and got bit by this traveling bug, Dan. And at one point in my life, I thought it was all going to be about putting on a uniform and serving my country. And, and I was in ROTC in college. And then I understood something about U.S. foreign policy and foreign service and traveling on the wor- around the world with a black diplomatic passport and said, hey, maybe I'll wear a nice suit opposed to a uniform. And Fell in love with sort of international development, U.S. foreign policy, international uh, understanding. Where did you go to college? Howard University. And and did you meet your spouse there? We didn't meet at at Howard, um, but we did meet in Washington, D.C. at an Africa-focused conference. We were were very fortunate to have uh, your spouse be a part of a task force we did on forced migration. And so I got to meet the other half and the better half of the Glenn Totally better half, and I married up. Let (laughs) me just put that on the record. I'm sorry, you put that on the record. You did marry up. I've met her, and you did marry up, buddy. You were at ROTC, and and so did you— did you go to the Peace Corps right after college? So it's interesting. Right after undergrad, one of my college professors sort of saw me, uh, a, a clerk, a teller at Safeway. And one of my, one of my college professors said, hey, CD, you know, what, what, are you, what are you doing this summer? And I said, well, you know, going to make some money, hang around. He said, there's this internship with the U.S. Information Agency, USIA, yes. taking you back. Yes. Um, which is now part of the State Department, and he's bringing together um, a number of high, you know, highly impactful students to go away for the summer and have a foreign service internship. And I said, "All right, where's the application? Sign, Sign me, me up." up. Yeah, yeah. I ended up in I ended up in Ghana, and that's where. So I thought my life was going to be about being 50 years old and being in front of a microphone as Ambassador Glenn. And when I got to Ghana, I learned a lot about you know our diplomatic corps. But I ran into some people who were speaking local languages, who were having these truly authentic experiences. And I said, I've grown up in this military background of sort of closed environments, military bases, and now I'm in this environment, which is a closed environment of the embassy. But the Peace Corps volunteers weren't in any; they were in the environment. Wow. They were in the communities. And I said, I think I want that life before I do this Ambassador Glenn thing. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so so. So then you so you signed up for the Peace Corps, and where'd you go? I went to South Africa, and it was a dream come true. I was in the first group to go to South Africa. I had studied U.S. foreign policy towards South Africa in, in college. I had been part of the divestment movement for South Africa. I'd worked for a group called Trans Africa in undergrad, and all of a sudden, when I wanted to join the Peace Corps, Bill Clinton and Mandela had come together and said, we want to basically create the first Peace Corps group in South Africa. So when I signed up, they said, well, you can go to Turkmenistan in July, but if you wait, there's this program we're creating in South Africa, and if you wait, you can go there. And I said, consider me waiting. <laughs> I, you know, And literally, I was in the first Peace Corps group in South Africa. Um, it was transformational. Mandela was president. We got, off, we got off the plane, and Al Gore, the vice president at that time, and Thabo Mbeki, the vice president of South Africa at that time, welcomed us because we were showcasing diversity as a strength. This was a new nation, and that that time, simpler times, I mean, these phrases don't work anymore, but it was really about the melting pot reaches, um, meets the rainbow nation. I mean, it was this sort of these two nations that were built upon immigrants and diversity and cross-cultural understanding were basically meeting each other, and we were showcasing America's strength and diversity. So, CD, I, I have to ask you about this because this is, this is great. Okay, so I think one of America's assets 
is our diversity. And I think, so I think this example, of ha- so I'm assuming you weren't the only African-American as part of the Peace Corps. You, fair assumption, fair and assumption. it's ab- absolutely true. And great, wasn't Aaron Williams the mission director at the time? You got it, Aaron so Williams, the, the Honorable Aaron Williams. The Honorable Aaron Williams was the first mission director for AID in South Africa, African-American. Talk a little bit about sort of diversity as a strategic asset of the U.S. No, it was it was a powerful. We're, we're statement. having a conversation internally about having diversity in our diplomatic corps, our intelligence corps, and our military and our development capacity is an asset of the United States. I'm assuming you strongly agree. With I that. strongly agree with that, and I think there's no greater physical message, but also strategic message to send. Aaron Williams, African-American, head of USAID for a new South Africa. Earl Yates, the Peace Corps director, African-American for a new South Africa. I mean, we showcased two South Africans. The ambassador, I think it was James Joseph, was an African-American. I mean, we were showcasing to South Africa that the tapestry, the rich tapestry of diversity in America, which makes us a great nation, is also the road that you're going down down that path in South Africa. It was, imp- it was so powerful. Can you just talk a little bit more about sort of other examples in your career where like that you've either seen that either in you we're going to talk about your other life in the Peace Corps you've is it either through our philanthropy or is it through our civil society where you've seen it I mean Africa's been a big part of your my career journey your definitely. career journey <clears throat> have you seen other instances where we had you had, you knew somebody who had learned Swahili or is because that the ambassador was African American there was something that helped helped us in, in addition to sort of sending a signal that there was something else that 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 it helped us with their languages or something else about you know. I mean, there's there's just a connectedness. There, there it this brings it brings about sort of a a again. I think the signal is really important because that's the first thing that that you see. You only have yeah, one partners. One one shot to make a first impression. You got one and shot when, to make a first impression. And when when America sends different minded people, different. Uh, physical people, it, it sends a really important message to the to those nations. And I completely agree with that. I mean, Dan, it was so important for me because when I came back from the Peace Corps, there's only one job I wanted because I had been in this new South Africa, where as a group of Asian Americans, Indian Americans, white Americans, black Americans, when we would walk down the street, we would send shockwaves through local communities because they had never seen this many different "Quote unquote different people together," and and I I came back to the states and my job for for two years was I was in charge of diversity recruitment for the Peace Corps. So I literally went around the nation and told young Americans the importance of showcasing your America to the world. And so that was a really important part of my mission in the early part of my career was to because I had grown up in these environments, Dan. I had grown up in England and Italy and Portugal as number four of a family of eight, you know, six kids and my mom and dad, and we would go somewhere and we'd be this new black family in England. And they would say, wow, there's a new black family. And there's a lot of them. And, <laughs> and so people would, would love that. So we, so I started thinking that diversity meant special. Yeah. And this powerful diversity message within foreign, foreign policy is really important. I think we just have to use more tools and we have them. So we have this project we've been, we, we had, we hosted we hosted this Aspen Institute initiative. This, this Correct. is, I think, the, and so we've we've been grappling with how do we be more strategic about the di- difference and diversity in the United States? How do we model that here? How do we think about it here? How do we think about this as a national asset? And so I, I'm very interested in this conversation. We we have to take this offline. Right. Really interesting. All right. That's my second. That's when you invite me back, Dan. I'm going to part can, two. We're talk about part two. exactly. <laughs> All right. So, 
So you were you came back from the Peace Corps. You went to work for the Peace Corps. Correct. So then, how did you end up meeting our friend Michael Levitt? And didn't you did you go to to CDC after that? Yes. Uh, that time it was Citizens Development Corps. Unbelievable. Um, now it's Pixera Global. This is a funny, quick story. So I came back from from the Peace Corps. I worked at Peace Corps headquarters. I'm working in diversity recruitment, traveling all around the country, getting people of color from communities of color, people different backgrounds to sort of look at international yeah. work. Yeah. And I ended up falling in love with my wife, and we moved to Nigeria. And so from Nigeria— For, for CDC. For, no, that was really for love because my wife had a great job in Nigeria. We got married, and I said— I can figure it out I'll on the ground. I'll figure it out. And I got picked up by the IFC, your old stopping ground. Oh, my word. International Finance uh, Corporation. Or the World Bank Group. World Bank Group. Worked for them doing social impact assessments, environmental impact assessments for a lot of large private sector. Two years later, I get a call. I, I saw my dream job. It said, you know, business background, private sector development, um, skill-based volunteerism, and they're looking for someone to be the vice president broader foreign policy objectives, not as agents of, of national security, but grassroots ambassadors on the ground. And we, ha- we, we got to do that. We got to make sure that the work that volunteers were doing in those communities bubbled up to broader development efforts that, that USAID and other actors were doing. Again, as an independent agency, but making sure that we really were bringing the volunteers, you know, the cross-cultural exchange, but also the, they were they were global development ambassador. So I've been, I just was in Eritrea three weeks ago. It's a whole separate wow. conversation, okay? Super isolated. And I said to myself, okay, this country, what this country needs, I've been in Eritrea, is what we need is like, we need several hundred Americans to kind of flood this country. It's safe enough. It's not dangerous. And we need, we don't need like a massive aid program. What we just need is some people-to-people connectivity. We need to have some Americans who learn Tigrinya. There's like one guy, there's one American that speaks Tigrinya, as far as I know, who's not Eritrean American. And he's a former Peace Corps person from like the 90s. So I know it matters in the sense, and I don't mean to belittle the Peace Corps, because I think it, it does have a role to play. But in your mind, is it, it what is its most important value for the United States? Have you said to me, so I know, I know I've made a little flippant and, and perhaps a little unfair, but what I, I can tell you what I see the value of it. Where, why do you, where's the value of the Peace Corps? Citizen diplomacy. There's, if diversity is number one in my mind in terms of having a diverse um, international development, U.S. foreign policy, global development workforce. Is it a feeder? Is it a talent source for... for, It used to be the number one source. Intelligence community, development... Development for anything that has to do with now international education. Diplomacy, international education, even international business. It's the gold standard around the world. Countries, when I was at the Peace Corps, working for the Peace Corps, we had a team from South Korea come in and say, we want to use our I, citizens. How do I copy-paste yes. this? How do I get this? I want a Korean version of this. They, I mean, all the time, because it's the gold standard. I mean, you're sitting, you're sending your best. What do, what do we have? We have our time, our talent, and our treasure. Well, our money, you know... Sometimes that's useful, sometimes, sometimes it's not. not. Right. Time is a scarce resource, but our people, to send your people to go for two years into a place where you've never been, to learn a new language, to say to the community, my community, when I got there, they said, what did you bring us? I said, America gave me to you. This is, this is what America, the most important thing America could give was me did they for buy two that? years. And they hook, line, and sinker. They bought it. Because it was also something special. Now, at first they said, what did you do to get sent here? Because community service and right, volunteerism, right. You like, got, you were why pun- would you, you leave? Right, you broke a law or something. <laughs> exactly. This is like some sort of but then punishment. When you, when you when you come and you say, "Look, I'm going to be here, and we're going to we're going to figure this out together." And so the cross cultural understanding is critical. 
I mean, that's, that's the first point of any kind of development or negotiation is meeting people where they are. So Peace Corps volunteers meet those communities literally where they are, and then we work from okay. there. To be so, able to do that, the power dynamics yeah. change. So, okay, so you got, then you got a phone call. Someone called you and said, how about going to Africa with the Rockefeller Foundation? So, again, this is love makes things happen. My, uh, my wife had a great opportunity in, in Kenya and we sat down and talked about it as a family. I'd been working for Aaron for two and a half years. We've been doing transformational work. Fabulous I, I stuff. created the whole global uh, partnership, uh, strategic alliances unit. You know, with with him, we were really engaging yes. the private sector and engaging NGOs and saying, "Fantastic, Peace Corps volunteers should be part of this yes. development." Yes, I agree. And um, you know, I said, "What's next?" And literally ran into um, someone who said, "You know, you, you're going to probably be in Nairobi because your wife, you know, has this great new gig." Your three daughters will have a great life there. You could try to stay in the administration, or you could look at going out. And I heard that Rockefeller Foundation there's this is, thing. is hot. There's this thing. I was like, well, what is the Rockefeller Foundation? What, is it, what does it do? Well, they support the well-being of mankind, but also they travel around the continent and they give away money. I was like, oh, that sounds that like sounds something like I'd be interested yeah. in. <laughs> and, I, and I could be in Nairobi with my family. But no, I'm being facetious with the giveaway money part. But literally investing in local communities, really looking at catalytic capital, understanding. So I had understood people power yeah. from the Peace Corps. I had understood private sector development from my consulting yes, days with the yes. IFC. And now I was like, what is this strategic philanthropy? What does this mean to sort of look at grants that end up leading to transformational change? And it was really how we use money. And I hadn't had that. I had, you know, I'd given up myself. I had worked with big corporations and big development finance institutions. But now, all of a sudden, it was sort of understanding what the power of a five hundred thousand dollar grant could do to transform a community. This what they call catalytic jumpstart yeah. capital. And so for me, it was really, you know, sitting down. Judith Roden, um, an illustrious, you know, global leader, visionary. She had been, um, you know, president, president of the University of Pennsylvania, right. Uh, 20 plus years at at Yale, and the first, the tenth and first female president of the Rockefeller Foundation was remaking philanthropy. So it was about strategic investments, and it was our um, at the Rockefeller Foundation our funding that would be part of a broader mix of different partners and different funding. And how are we leveraging and, and really filling gaps where the market. wasn't there yet, and the government hadn't made regulation, then philanthropy stepped in. And so I learned so much about the impact that small amounts of money could do to bring about transformational change if you use the power of alliances and collaboration and partnerships. Again, things that I had learned from all of my other... this for 20 years. Yeah, all my other jobs. So it was was literally a dream job. I lived in, in Nairobi, Kenya. I covered mainly the global agriculture portfolio, impact investing, Youth employment, rural rural transformation, climate change—a number of things—and and what we were doing at Rockefeller at that time was really, really leading the way to where global development and philanthropic capital and private sector-driven development all sort of cascaded together. Again, diverse people around the table. You and I with private sector leaders, with government officials, with industry players with in Bellagio. NGO, NGO players. It was how long were you at Rockefeller? So I was at Rockefeller for almost six years. Five five really? Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a long stretch. It's a great stretch. So then you got a phone call? I got a phone call. I got some emails from some friends, different folks who said, you know, you've heard of the US African Development Foundation because we, we we know you you know who who they we are. We know who you are, 
and you've heard of us. You've heard of us, and we think there could be we're, we're in a global search because unfortunately the the past president Sherry Berenbach had had passed away, transformational leader, head of the Calvert Foundation, and I head knew of her well. She was a she was a great innovator. She was a very creative mind, a real doer. It was a real loss when when she passed. She passed, and there was a global search, and you know, five 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 years in Nairobi. My my little girls. I went o- I went over Dan with a five year old, a two year old, and, a, and an eleven month old. And you know, as yeah. as a father of three yeah. three boys, huh. three girls, you know, Nairobi was a great stretch. But we also were at a place in our family where we were saying maybe we get back to the U.S. and see what see what see what's 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 available. What, what's what's what opportunities there. And are. for me, it was where it was the promise and the past success of the African the U.S. African Development Foundation. What is I mean, the U.S. African Development Foundation? It's literally the U.S. government's African Enterprise Agency. Why what did they set mean? it up? It literally because there was a gap. There was a gap in development in terms of how do we look at a different model of development, one that is demand responsive, responding to local local needs, one that really, really, really invests directly in communities. So we use procurement tools very differently. We provide seed capital and technical assistance directly to grassroots, small, and medium-sized enterprises. Why? Because we want to grow local economies. Why would we want to do that? Because we create potential trading partners. We, We create American influence in places that are vulnerable, places where peace and security and economic stability is really needed. And we provide, as a U.S. government, this catalytic jumpstart capital in places that are looking to create opportunity. So if we're not there, then peace and economic stability may not happen. happen. But also, when are you going to get the potential small and medium-sized businesses that want to buy American goods, that want to sell Americans our, where do we get our shea butter? Where do we get our cashews? Where do we get our coffee? Where do we get a lot of these commodities that we need, you know, almost every day? A lot of them are coming from we take, we take African, for granted. African markets. And, and you, eat, you eat chocolate, you drink coffee. I just came back from Cote d'Ivoire. Care, the products. number one producer in the world for cocoa Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, number one producer of cashews. I'm a Costco guy. I buy cashews in the exactly in the bags. bucket. You know, <laughs> coming from number one cashew producer, Ivory Coast. These are growing entrepreneurs, and we were established to really to really start off where AID would 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 come after us, and OPIC would come after us, and so you're like TDA, the first and second gear. We're early stage. You're early we're, stage. We're early stage. We're going into places where people aren't there yet, where economic opportunity is not um, pervasive, but we create the foundation for economic growth by investing directly into grassroots, small and medium-sized enterprises in 20-plus countries. We were able to say, look, Here's what we've already done to seed capital invest a lot of the development that you can now build on with new policies from Department of Commerce, with new procurement mechanisms from Trade and Development Agency, with new investments from MCC. And so it was a really, really good whole-of-government initiative, but also the private sector led the way. I mean, it's chaired by UPS and by by GE Africa. And those two companies, along with, again, some great blue-chip American brands, IBM, you know, others were there, but we really were looking at Africa with this new narrative around opportunity. So, so have, why has it taken so long for the U.S. to to see Africa as an opportunity? I feel like we're sort of still we're we're in the process of shifting our mindset about Africa. Did you talk a little bit no, about I th- that? No, I think I think I think we are. So, what's what's interesting when you really think about it, it's only. So, I talked about my career from nineteen ninety um, ninety five, yeah, yeah, yeah you know, to to now. And if you think about, we've only, we created the African Growth and Opportunity Act. 
the framing for this country to engage in Africa only about 20 years ago. So it's literally only been 20 years since we've been really thinking about Africa growth and in opportunity a in a different way. And so, but now I think we're trying to align a lot of the tools that we have and a lot of resources that we have, the private sector resources and the government resources to hopefully advantage our companies to demystify the narrative about debt, disease, drought, you know, bad all stuff, the bad all stuff the, in the Africa. Only, the only co- press coverage is bad. And, it's and, unfair. And if Peace Corps volunteers weren't there doing great work, we wouldn't even have some of the positive yeah, stories. Because I mean, Peace Corps I feel like the pre- I feel like the press that covers it. I want to call it irresponsible, but it gets sort of a steady diet of negative press from Africa. When it's a really 54 sub-Saharan African countries, it's a big continent. It's like saying everything in the District of Columbia is bad. That's not true. It's not true. And I think a, a trip like this, which had almost which had 55 across the continent, nine different countries, 75. African energy entrepreneurs that we've invested about $8 million in. We've, we've worked with GE, so we work a lot with the private sector. So we look at our catalytic capital and then leverage not only funding from, from U.S. companies where we match and we help, we help them get leverage and linkage into local communities. Dan, African governments, African governments see the value of what we do so much that they co-invest and match our funding in a number of countries, Uganda, Malawi, Nigeria, Benin. We put down $2 million a year to invest in African enterprises. They match that. We program $4 million. So you, when, when do you have an African government, let's call it a poor African government, yeah. investing in their own development through a U.S. government agency? It doesn't happen. Except, doesn't for, at the, happen. except for at the U.S. African Development Foundation. That's our value proposition to government. And that, so we're not OPIC where we're making money that comes back to the U.S., but we're basically your taking catalytic philanthropy. Exactly. Uh, taking appropriated dollars and trying to double them in some countries with Africans themselves investing in their own people and their own ideas using American know-how. Okay, so you, are you optimistic about the future of Africa? I'm beyond optimistic. I'm through the, I'm through the moon, especially, to be honest, after this, this trip. I mean, I've been working in, on Africa for a long time, so I'm always half full. You were working on Africa before Africa was cool, I mean, so You're I, my so, friend. <laughs> and No, it, it, it literally is, is Africa's time. I'm, I'm so – I moved back to the U.S. to take this job at the U.S. African Development Foundation because I feel like what we do as a, as, a, as a utility, a tool of U.S. foreign policy, of our U.S. development mix is so vitally important because we need to have an agency that is focused around enterprise development – Grassroots, small and medium sized, because we're going to have Africa's in startup mode. They're creating local economies, and we're going to say buy buy China buy twice because you're going to basically replace whatever you bought within six to eight months or whatever the time. I was in Uganda in March, and there is a massive hydroelectric dam with a huge crack in it. Now, (laughs) that's all I'm going to say. So I mean, they they talk about they say look buy could ruin your day. (laughs) Buy China buy twice. They talk about you know look cheap is expensive. Cheap and, is expensive. And so American technology, American know-how, investing in African enterprises is a great relationship. We have some of the best tools that African enterprises need, it, need and when they do grow their way out, uh, out of their development challenges, they can sell to us as real partners because we're going to be there for the long term. We want to be not only in Africa today, but we want to be making sure that Africa and the U.S. relationship is really long term, and so we we don't have a sh- our advantage that we don't have a short term mentality. Now that we're in, and we have PEPFAR, and we yeah, have Electrify yeah. Africa, and we have global food security and strategy. We've had, we and have several thousand former Peace Corps volunteers who get out. Hundreds of thousands, 
Yeah. Hundreds of thousands that, that get Africa, and they're they're teaching Africa in our schools. They're talking about um, the African continent as it's an opportunity. It's changing our relationship. It's changing the narrative. You know, and t- I mean, hey, this is this is this is the year of Black Panther. You know, let's let's Love be honest. Let's, let's be Love honest. Love that movie. <laughs> this, so I Africa's saw it cool, twice. right? I saw it twice. So Africa's cool. It was great. Yeah, Wakanda. <laughs> what kind vibranium? Of vibranium, right? <laughs> no, but when you when you get it in the cartoons and so it's great. I'm, I'm bullish. I'm it's bullish. Called, yeah, it's it's. Yeah, I'm too. Okay, so so you know, I I do think we're gonna need to get thing. If I look ahead, I see we're gonna double the Africa's population is gonna double. By 2030, you're talking, you know, talking about double population. It's already going to be the the 21st century may not be the Asian century. It may be the African century. There'll be maybe maybe more people in Africa than in Asia soon. I mean, it's the youngest continent on the planet. Oh, my word. You have you have this. So this is opportunity. And this is where America helped them fix it. Where's procurement reform? Where's transparency? Working with them, not just sort of throwing rocks from the side and saying, we won't do business with you until you get it all straight. Because by the time work with them. And this is where it really is about time investing are our real we have tools we have policies and we need to introduce them we need to help them really be able to negotiate we, we, better we, deals we we, uh, we can't wait the, the, i've had i had a very stunning conversation there was a universe there were about 25 african business leaders probably in their 40s they'd all studied in the u.s or europe and i said what does africa need from the united states and they said you know Frankly, we don't need anything from the United States. The question is, do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be a part of? Do you want to get on this bandwagon or not? And I almost fell out of my chair. And you know what? They were right. They were right. So and it's about handshake, not a handout. No, and that and that is what Africans are saying. Let me tell you, I just got back from Ghana, as we talked about the um, the, the the new president in Ghana. Their whole strategy is called Ghana Beyond Aid. I mean, their whole framing is about the future of Ghana is beyond. Aid. And so whether you're talking about agriculture, whether you're talking about light manufacturing, whether you're talking about renewable infrastructure. energy, infrastructure, we have the businesses. Do we and want we to have be the their government. partner on that, on that or right. not? That, that, that's, that's the a, question. That's a great question. And that's a that's a shift in mindset for us. It's it's a, it takes it's going to take a tremendous shift in mindset. But we're. We're getting there. We can there. do it. We can We're, do we, it. We are. We are. We have eight years left with the Goa. We have, you know, this 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 trip that um, we just went on where we had direct relationships yeah. with 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 government leaders and with the private sector. And we got to build on that. We got. We have to, and we got to follow through. We got to get on a plane. Okay. We got to meet people where they are. We got to sort of really sort of understand the local context and then work with it. Because that's that's the only way we're in other markets, right? We worked with what was there, and we built it for a better America, and we saw it as mutually beneficial. And so we got to see Africa as mutually beneficial, where we're not, you know, 